Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the second part of um, the 200th Mind Podcast. Um, I know it's a big thing that we survived for 200 episodes and you guys actually listened to us for 200 episodes. But thank you all for um, keeping your faith uh, in us and uh, coming back every week to listen to our take on variety of issues. Like I said yesterday, uh, this is going to be a special podcast. So the first part was talking about uh, military, strategic affairs, foreign policy, defense, and other things. This part is going to focus um, on history, culture, and then the last part of the second part is going to talk about politics because and current affairs. Because, of course, we can't um, go um, without talking about that. And to discuss that with me, I have a very special guest. Um, I have Neha Srivastav, who is the founder of the Shaktitva Project. Uh, she is a um, she's an author, columnist, has uh, written for um, various portals and has been a guest on Mind Podcast as well, uh, talks about various issues. So welcome to Mind Podcast, Neha. Hi, and welcome um, people on the 200th podcast. And my congratulations to you, Adit and Sananda and Pramod and all of you uh, and the Mind team for completing 200 episodes. It's a major milestone for sure. Okay, I, thank you so much. I mean, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you um, something. Uh, you were the f- like when we started getting guests, you were the first guest we ever had on Mind Podcast. So it's absolutely... <laughs> And it was, I think, 127 or something. So it was after the 100th podcast. So, you know, it's it's only fitting that you come um, on a very momentous occasion for us. Oh, I, had no, I had no idea I was the first one. Yeah, and and you know the funny thing is, हम तब ने तब कुछ UP की maybe it was after the UP elections or maybe demonetization. Yeah, I don't exactly recall. I mean, considering it was seventy three episodes ago, so it was probably seventy three weeks ago. So it was one and a half year ago or something. So, but anyways, you know, so I'm glad to have you back. So I think Neha, before before we because we're talking we're going to cover a, a ginormous um, uh, feature of the cultural you know and the history aspect and stuff but i actually wanted to t- con- sort of contemporize this and focus on a big topic that has dominated the news this um, uh, this month or the last few months which is sabrimala and then when we talk about this history political sort of thing you we can talk about other examples as well and you know what you've seen and stuff the reason the sabrimala temple of course is in news is because uh, you have um, uh, what you may call the the other side so to speak or the leftists trying to where the women were trying to enter the temple of course sabrimala temple uh, had a thing where um, women who menstruating women uh, would not enter the temple because lord ayappa is um, uh, the is a celibate deity and there was a huge campaign for from the left to have women enter it but then in response you had a lot of devotees showing the ready to wait having the ready to wait campaign and um, I know my good friend Anjali George who is a prolific writer for us and who actually uh, has written probably the most seminal piece on Sabrimala before this even became such a big raging controversy about two three years ago uh, had there Neha you were also involved in this so can you explain to the uh, can you tell everyone what I have not covered or where I was wrong <laughs> So I agree. This is a very important point, and unfortunately, or fortunately, however we want to put it, like we don't have 
enough knowledge out there still mm. after running this campaign for 2 to 3 years even on our side of the uh, you know wing as we call it mm. not not enough we are wingless neha <laughs> so so uh, we have this as you said like you know we started this thing in 2016 as soon as we you know the um, once the supreme court t- took uh, awareness of this pil and uh, we had a uh, hearing was scheduled and uh, indra jay singh if i remember correctly went there and you know talked about discrimination and what not um, right then we started this campaign and uh, it was like anjali george shilpa nayar and padma pillai were the brain uh, brains behind it but i also joined to kind of you know show solidarity that it was not just um, you know kerala it was not just a kerala hindu problem it was a, a all hindu women concern and so um, from then onwards i've been more or less involved in the sabrimala um, you know ready to wait movement mm-hmm. and part of the thing that people don't realize is that this has nothing to do with menstruation you know as you say like you know correct you one of the things that i need to correct here is you said menstruating women you know mm-hmm. if as we know for many temples um, there is a restriction on menstruating women entering mm-hmm. this is actually has absolutely zero connection to that like if that was the case only those 5 days would be the prohibition no, no, okay. uh, period let me but correct, I know I let me correct myself what i went meant by menstruating i um, i should have said women of that age age group. yeah so it's actually the women of the in the fertile period in the fertile period we, yeah so i yes. yeah and we i, I stand correct fertility uh, both in men and women has been a reverential part of many many cultures across the world i think there is barely any culture that does not worship fertility in one way or the other so um, the strong connect and as as such because we are a culture that is very diverse we have both kinds of um, uh, you know connections from if whenever we understand power we understand that the power can have both positive and negative impact so mm. there is an uh, uh, there is a concept of uh, brahmacharya mm. where you deliberately restrict your powers as a way of practicing control and that was why it was absolutely necessary for young kids or whoever was uh, entering the gurukula um, or basically the period of study they had all had to practice brahmacharya which was basically a way of controlling your indriya or mastering control over yourself mm-hmm. that includes the control over all your powers one of them being the fertile power mm-hmm. now naishtik brahmacharya which is what ayappa is practicing mm-hmm. um, in sabrimala mm-hmm. is even once one more harder level of brahmacharya mm-hmm. if you may uh, contemporize it that way mm-hmm. so they, he is actually not just you know practicing control he is also avoiding the company of the opposite sex okay. now if this was a woman hmm. and a woman can be an aishtik brahmachari also hmm. in in, in Bra- brahmacharini she would be called in her case she would be avoiding the company of men hmm. um and this has been going on for centuries after centuries there are so many monk orders who deliberately do this even today one way of doing this is to literally go in the middle of nowhere mm. in a, on a mountain and you know practice it there so that you know no woman accidentally comes around and you can't blame the uh, either parties in that situation mm. so that's what he did he actually went up in the middle of nowhere in the forest and he set up a spot there 
Mm. That's where the temple is today, and now with the modernity happening, that temple has become more accessible, and you know there is a mm. national park around it, so there are ecological concerns also. Mm. But however, like you know, it's become a major pilgrimage center, but people still respect his wishes. Mm. So, no, so, like, so, it, what, mm? I, I'm glad you clarified this, but I, I want to bring in a second point, and you can answer both of them together, right? Mm-hmm. So. what you said and the ready to wait makes sense and a lot of women who are devotees of ayappa are you know ready to wait and stuff but then uh-huh. we have this weird uh, 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 conundrum where there is a second uh, and we're going to talk about the two walls and stuff right where there is uh-huh. a second set on the political left side and stuff where they are saying oh women should be allowed to enter sabrimala so how about we are they really devotees do they want to do they want to enter sabrimala i mean the atheists who want to enter sabrimala do they really want to enter sabrimala because they believe in lord ayappa because there is a weird dichotomy here right because if you believe Absolutely. In, yeah because if you believe in lord ayappa you actually believe in this theory and you will not go because that's your belief right, right. and if you don't believe in lord ayappa then you don't believe in the place then what is the point i mean you know Absolutely, absolutely. You hit the nail right on head, and the people are keep asking me, "How can you be the judge of who is the devotee?" You know, of course, I can't judge you whether you are a devotee based on. Uh, however, having said that, you know, it's very hard to you know hide your preferences on social media in this world of social media these days. Mm-hmm. But even if you ignore all of that, right? Let's mm-hmm. say you come from a straight point. Your actions speak louder than words. If you are a devotee. who is and the way we hindus understand temple darshan mm. is uh, not just you know it's not a place to congregate and play, pray mm-hmm. like uh, a church or a mosque is a hindu goes to a temple because we actually believe that the deity is alive mm. in that temple and so we go for a darshan where we see him and by just seeing him we feel blessed mm-hmm. because he is a Uh, revered figure mm. so if you contemporary in contemporary way it's like saying i have a vegetarian friend which is you my friend adit <laughs> uh, <laughs> and i am a non vegetarian right yeah, yeah. if i want to come and visit you out of sheer respect i will not take anything non vegetarian with me to your place mm, right mm, This, because i know that you you yours is a vegetarian house you have strict rules in your house and I, you are well opening your doors for me mm. as a welcome that means i don't you know overstay my welcome a by and definitely no don't impose my values on you mm. on you mm. like this and so the same respect should at least extend to ayappa too right like if he's is more than your friend he's your you know fights a father figure and it's a godly figure so what kind of a devotee who actually be, believes in ayappa would go inside and deliberately violate his vratam mm-hmm. right knowing full well that you know uh, that it's it's not only even if you ignore every devotee's feelings and sentiments even if that simple question that clarifies who is a devotee is uh, is defined by this so any woman who says i am a devotee and i wants to end i want to enter is is contradicting herself mm. so that and then uh, that kind of brings me to this point where you were very well mentioned that there were two walls mm. and yet uh, only one wall was covered so before in you get into that media. i want to do a small plug uh, mm-hmm. rajat mitra on mind on mind uh, wrote this beautiful piece on a tale of two walls and what did uh-huh. one wall represent and what did the other wall represent and then apart Absolutely. from that on sabrimala we had two very interesting takes so hindol sen gupta uh, prolific author he had a series of tweets and we told him to we kind of compile that into piece and so we've carried that as well and uh, sanku t das uh, wrote another 
so we have three fantastic pieces on sabrimala i would urge everyone uh, to who's listening to this to read those pieces because they talk to i mean we can only cover so much in 30 minutes uh, these pieces have each specific issues they have covered in detail so go on Neha. absolutely yeah. yeah so if you look at the profile of the women who have tried to enter and who have entered mm. as well as the profile of women who were doing ayappa jyoti uh, as well as women's wall mm. the you know the the, the uh, disparity between these supposed devotees becomes absolutely clear you know the demographics on the women's wall wall was absolutely ludicrous mm-hmm. did you see that picture of that uh, burka clad woman holding oh, a garment patriarch <laughs> actually so that is that is one of uh, a version of that picture is our article picture just to show because some, there is, i think one of the placard was a wall for gender justice yeah i see what is going on here i mean okay i don't want to comment on other people's versions of feminisms yeah. but we have to talk about this is a, a lot of it was in context for sabrimala however much we want to pretend otherwise hmm. and the profile makes it very clear on who has local standi here who are these women and thankfully the kerala court also took notice of this and they have asked now to for the cpm to explain um, the cpm government to explain why are these non believers entering the temple just to prove a point no it's it's a become a war, uh, story of So, Dr. Mitra actually had a very uh, a little funny uh, anecdote. Is like when they were talking about clenching their fist. Is like will they go salute in front of the Lord Ayappa and say "Hail Comrade"? I mean, hail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't even remind me of the salute. Oh my God, what was that? Yeah. So I mean, and and you know, I mean, I hate to make a sort of a a, a joke because this is a da- very serious issue. But I I could I burst out laughing. I'm like, this is an actual thing that could happen. And Western media covered it, and nobody asked them like, why are these people doing Nazi salute? No, but see, no, this is the thing, na Neha, because the problem is right that the left has an entrenched network of uh, of, of these people and uh, who are alleged journalists. Who what they'll do is they'll plug a few articles and tweets, and then the left in America is going to pick up their compadres from India, what they are seeing, and publish them without even uh, citing a thing. And then next thing you know, um, you and I both have friends who are born and raised here. They'll send NPR articles saying, "Oh, India is uh, India is a place where women are not given equal rights." Absolutely. So like we are we are stuck in a weird world where. the values are less important than political gesturing right so i mean this is the problem but anyways moving a little forward to this and because this we'll talk a little bit about the walls and then it it will eventually lead into politics because what is our life without politics right uh-huh. so uh, <clears throat> i mean basically do there were two walls right and then the, you had one person saying oh this was like along the uh, uh, as as like as big as the size of uh, the country of costa rica and what not basically um these these two uh, i think what rajat mitra said and i'm going to quote one line is like in every period of history walls have been built and destroyed by societies to either defend or protect some cherished values some have built been built to create hatred and some to protect something so walls have always stood for something larger than us and has taken society to various heights greater than itself or lower than itself so uh-huh. I, i i i i i mean and i'm he also said something about like berlin wall and stuff but i don't want to get into that but i think the larger point is that this signified a big change and that led 
two politicians also starting to make comments on that so you had shashi tharoor who wrote a piece on sabrimala um, and now almost now it's become like a bjp versus left sort of situation there but even within bjp there have been state bjps in one tone central bjps in one tone so what's going on help us decode this political puzzle absolutely so actually era you bring up from a very good perspective that there has been a lot of uh, confusion in the national leadership of the state and um and the uh, national leadership and the state for i all of the parties if mm. not um, and the only one who has been consistent is the cpim in their hatred against everything hindu so at least you know you not need to lord them for that um but <laughs> but in the bjp and the congress there have been uh, a lot of confusion um shashi tharoor in 2016 um he was tweeting around and he was saying oh look at my stance and i'm so liberal and uh, he was actually supporting entry of women in 2016 we actually pulled some tweets from uh, office from 2016 mm-hmm. now he has written two articles in the print changing his tone entirely and standing up for the devotees and even giving a mention of ready to wait mm-hmm. um so that is appreciated and we understand look we understand individuals you know their opinions change as more information so shekhar gupta changed his mind yes yes um <laughs> i think <laughs> but um, in in uh, in in this point of view i i appreciate that his stance has changed and he's even matter uh, you know bothered to mention ready to wait but it's too little too late because a if you look at what he's capable of doing and what he's done hmm. it's absolutely not enough he has access he did not mention it once in the parliament Hmm. where he was like in the last session uh, there was prolonged discussions on a lot of things he could have brought it up and he would have had the local standi as an mp from kerala hmm. but he didn't bother to mention he didn't like knowing the lopsided coverage that's going on in the west where they're even using pictures of women who are from ready to wait protesters who are asking for save sabrimala they're standing on the ground west is using the pictures of those women as if they were the women trying to enter the temple Hmm. it is so lopsided and he has he as you said like we 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 are we are talking about entrenched networks here hmm. so we don't have access to those kind of you know networks but hmm. sashi tharoor for sure does and hmm. if he can write an article on churchill he can surely clarify some of the misconceptions the only voice dominating on the west is barkha that's right now hmm. and uh, then on the other side you know bjp has recovered very very well in my opinion hmm. um initially there was a lot of confusion uh, hmm. rss was saying one thing and then bjp leadership was quiet for a long time sure. but they have you know managed to grab hold of the public sentiments well hmm. uh, rss now they are on a consistent stand at both national and state policy that we stand with the devotee sentiments and cpim has very nicely you know blamed all of the protests on bjp so why not <laughs> take the credit and rejoice in it mm. uh, but one thing i want to mention is uh, minakshi rekhi's fantastic speech in the parliament right. and i i you know i i appreciate her a lot more uh, mm. for simply mentioning this issue in the parliament you know those thing uh, mentioning something in the parliament has a lot of value even if it uh, because the nation hears it and पार्लियामेंट की अलग 
national issue, but it keeps getting painted in the media as if it's a Kerala issue. Yeah, yeah. So, and th- that is what bothers me the most because this, and and this is why I wanted to include this one specific issue, even though we said that oh, we'll talk about history and cultural issue. Because if this happened here, it can happen anywhere else in India. Absolutely, and you know, this was a historic moment because for the first time in in the juris in the, in the history of Indian jurisprudence, has the state. Uh, reduced the powers of the tantri in deciding what goes on in the temple. Hmm. Yes, we've had HRC before. We have had like Tamil uh, Tamil Nadu temples and Kerala temples that are all under government control. Uh, many North Indian ones also. But even when the government control has been so far restricted only to management of the temple and not in managing what actually happens inside the temple, no, I, I, except I, for. I, I fear that this is just going to you know lead us to a debate to nowhere where people. Will just want to do things just to be different. Now I'll give Absolutely. you an example. Yeah, yeah. In in Jain temples, right? We have a thing where we don't eat inside the premises or any of the temple. We just don't consume any food. Like if a chadha you put it to the side mm. or something, and then you because there is no concept of prasad or anything. But if you right. do, it's outside. Abi kal utke koi bolega ki no, I am hungry. I will eat inside the temple. I mean. Yeah, then I have the freedom to offer chicken to you know Sri Ganesha, and I want. Why can't I walk with my chappals inside the temple? So, and there is no limit to this. Huh. So that is why I keep saying that in this debate, and, and I'm going to wrap up this segment, and then we're going to talk about pure politics in the end. Um, mm-hmm. In this debate, there are two sides. One is where one is if you respect rituals, if you respect some things. Now you can disagree with them, and you can debate mm-hmm. them, but that does not mean you desecrate them. Absolutely. At least my values don't teach me to desecrate someone. Yeah. Absolutely. There has to be an element of respect, and you know this is where the diversity of India stands out hmm. because you have thousands upon thousands of temple. If you don't like the rituals of this one temple, don't go there. No. If what kind of like uh, in, a, in, a, no, in, a, in a gurudwara, people uh, you know po, uh, like po, put something over their head and go right. It's, I would yeah. always do that. Now in in my temple, I've never had anything on my head like a uh, handkerchief or a turban or anything. But when I go to gurudwara, I would respect that. I would not be like, I am just. <laughs> no, but this is see. This is the point, right? Like there is a there the when you go to the in Dubai, there is a mosque, right? Mm. And it's a tourist spot also. Mm. So a lot of non-Muslims also go to that mosque to just kind of see the architecture. But the requirement they have is that you have to put on a hijab if you are a woman. If you have to end, if you want yeah. to enter, I simply I don't like the hijab, so I simply don't enter. Right? That's not. I am not losing any of huh. my rights. So, my so, daily life yeah, is not hold, getting yeah. affected. So hold that thought just a second. Just a second. So what you said about that uh, mosque in uh, Dubai is, I mean, absolutely valid. But uh, you know, before we digress into this, I want to bring it back to wrap up uh-huh. because you mentioned that the CPIM has conveniently blamed everything on the BJP. So where, how do you view the CPIM's conduct on that? I mean, I'm not asking you how do you view the CPIM because everyone knows both of our views on CPIM. <laughs> so <laughs> let's keep our criticism to this issue. <laughs> no, I actually, you know, sometimes I pity the people who are having the onerous task of defending the CPIM's conduct uh, on on the internet, and it's it's 
they've they've completely lost the plot you know they started i think like uh, at this point i'm pretty sure that pinarayi knows that he's not going to come back so he just wants to set up a legacy of his own hmm. uh, you know quite similar to mao's legacy or something hmm. um, but if you think if you look at this right like for, on one side he is so keen on implementing the sabrimala verdict whereas thousands upon thousands of sc verdicts are still not being implemented across the country including some of them in kerala hmm. and yet at the same time vavar mosque that is on the way to sabrimala where mm. it's actually considered uh, important to visit that mosque if you are a pilgrim to, uh, or going to sabrimala mm. and there were three women who tried to enter uh, tamil women who tried to enter the vavar mosque and the uh, pinarayi sent the police to arrest those women so they are sitting in jail right really so <laughs> Like I mean, if this is not hypocrisy, I don't know what it is. Like because the whole point of uh, the, uh, because the, up, up until now there was no problem because Sabrimala didn't have women and Vavar Mosque didn't have women, so women didn't go to Vavar Mosque and there was no problem. But now you know the the temple is supposedly open. I don't even think N Ram can defend this. Yeah, and but like <laughs> they are having to defend. So they are either black. The media is either blacking that out, or they are just trying to pretend that BJP is created. The unnecessarily they connected the uh, the the committee that the, these women were part of to BJP. They don't actually have any connection. Mm-hmm. But now he is uh, fighting to defend uh, like this thing. As I said, mm-hmm. I'm pitying the people who are defending this. And then you see the other hypocrisy happening here. There is a, a CPIM has always stood for fighting for tribal rights and. they've been more or less consistent with it but now you see there is this uh, there is this little peak uh, somewhere in kerala it's called agastakudam mm. and it's it's a good trek but more importantly up until now this is also part of the tribal land status uh, 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 forms a major chunk of the landscape in kerala mm. so this peak was has always been a pilgrim center and it's been revered and sacred for a lot of tribals uh, like tribal communities and um, there is a very nice like uh, folklore associated with the agastya kudam and so women were not uh, allowed to enter that temp- that trek also because it was uh, sacred place for the tribals hmm. now the kerala government again the cpim government changed the stance of the previous kerala government and they have there was a court case filed for allowing women to enter now they're marketing this uh, agastakudam thing as agastakudam trek hmm. instead of a pilgrim they're completely denying that there is any sanctity uh, or pil- it's they're denying that you know tribals have any uh, pilgrimage around there at all mm. even though this happens year after year where they go up on the trek and they bring water for the rest of the tribe um and yet it's, it's very similar to the one that we have in uh, north which called kavadiya yatra hmm. so it's similar to that trek um they get a it's a trek up hill and hmm. they go there and they collect water and bring it back as a part of a ritual so now they have completely denied that this has happened and cpim government is marketing that uh, tourist is uh, that uh, trek as a tourist spot <laughs> and i think part of the agenda in sabrimala is also the same and the irony of this is this is all being done by a supposed communist government who does not mar- care about capitalistic gains and stands for the rights of the tribals hmm. but when they come to power they are actually usurping all of those rights just to make a few bucks nahi matlab wo to that is classic communists na so ha <laughs> <laughs> but that's what i say like at least you know that i am pitying these people because it's happening so close to each other hmm. and um, the pinarayi is just trying to maximize his legacy while he is in the he is in power Indeed. and he knows his days are short lived so yeah. even if well, cpim comes back again he's not it's not pinarayi so, who's winning 
so from here let's go to pure politics because yeah. um when you talk about weird alliances uh, um and odd uh, odd people getting to or people oddly getting together what better story than what's happened in your home state uttar pradesh oh today? my god <laughs> the I have been so shocked. The the grand old the grand old the grand old socialists or alleged socialists of India, the Samajwadi uh-huh. Party, has uh, gotten in an alliance with uh, the Bahujan Samaj Party. To give everyone a background, this earlier in 1990, I believe, Kanchi Ram and Mulayam Singh got together. and uh, uh, same some said with some slogan mil gaye mulayam kashiram band karo jai shri ram aisa kuch weird sa slogan unhone banaya yeah, course, i remember that against yeah. bjp then in 1995 there was a guest house thing that happened which mayavati yeah. also mentioned a couple of times and i would urge everyone to read this piece on mind makers called the story of when bjp came to rescue mayavati's honor and life in 1995 and how brahmda dwivedi the uh, he he put himself in the line of fire he fought with the sp guys uh, mayavati was saved and it could have she could have been killed i mean the kind of things unspeakable things happened to her and uh, the the people who did these crimes were allegedly sp workers so now uh, my question is what motivated her to forget all of the and and mayavati kept saying that you know i'll never forget this i'll never forget this forget all this and do the seat sharing seat sharing arrangement with sp I mean, I would say it's utter desperation because she got zero seats last time. So I think she is now at, uh, worrying about extinction entirely. And uh, Dalit vote has been, uh, especially after all of the economic policies that Modi government has brought in the past few years, which has in you know helped uh, the Dalit communities get uplifted in a very very big way. Especially the Ujwala Yojana, uh, where they don't uh, they are no longer you know inhaling the smoke of the chula anymore, and they have access to LPG. many of those things have actually brought a lot of change in people's lives and i think at this point she is just worried about complete extinction because what else could possibly explain this you know it's a i understand that mulayam is no longer in charge but let's be clear you know we know um that the apple doesn't fall far too far from the tree mm-hmm. so how how sure can she be that incidents like this will not repeat on other dalit women leaders in the future Mm-hmm. um you know mayavati was a trailblazer in that sense and um, in, in that sense she also got a lot of respect from people so i didn't even i i didn't mind when she got that you know 10000 crore mala or whatever that mm-hmm. amount was on her on her uh, mm-hmm. on herself it was a statement and it was a powerful statement that the dalit who has been suffering for centuries after centuries of oppression mm-hmm. can rise up to the point that she can you know mm-hmm. uh, flaunt a very very expensive mala you know suited for kings um and that was a powerful statement in itself mm. but what kind of a statement does this make you know to the, mm. on especially for dalit women that the same people the very same uh, obc caste um party that was um attacking this dalit leader in her young age just for standing up for herself and speaking up in the parliament um is now you know shaking hands with the same very yeah so I, i think what you said is very important that a lot of women in in uttar pradesh and maybe even in india non dalit women admired the set of values that mayavati stood for now in terms of values i don't mean corruption and ideology and all that <laughs> 
just taking no taking on a a, a very a, a, a samaj right at that time and and going against the flow absolutely she was a, like in in many many ways she was an extremely powerful figure you know if you look at i am not saying they like a, a lot of people will argue that oh, we have had other women leaders also but let's be clear like indira gandhi was our first prime minister but she was a daughter of a former prime minister you know it's at, mm. as elite as it gets mm. and yet there is this woman who comes from absolutely nowhere um, who has the strong uh, you know um, she has a strong grassroots connection she you, i don't i still don't know who the family of mayavati is actually mm-hmm. um and she has the guts to stand up as a single woman mm. uh flaunt against every single you know stereotype you can throw at her mm. uh and yet you know bask in the glory of it like she made her freaking statue in lucknow that i pass by every single day when i'm at home mm. and i admire her for it. and i admired her you know got so for it and she was a you know a role model for many many women and i i just don't know what's you know what this new change is going to do to our image mm. and and i i for one a, a one up woman who's hugely disappointed uh, very 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 well put uh, interestingly they have decided on 38 38 seats and they have left amethi and raibareli to the congress uh, oh my god so so much for the congress resurgence in any case um, last time i think the congress allied with sp they got seven 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 mla seats and um, and then um, and then at, at that time a lot of people forget that before that uh, they had nominated sheila dikshit as their face in up and ah i remember <laughs> uh, and then even they forgot about her so and and now like after this happened like two days before they have nominated her face uh, as or quasi as a face for delhi or given her presidency pata nahi kya hua hai so uh, so i'm like ye kya hai and um, uh, and ajit singh probably is disappointed too because i don't know if ajit singh only wants two mps uh, mp seats so but le le you know this i think i uh, completely understand that uh, giving the her uh, giving congress only two seats because now those are the only two seats they won last time Huh. and are likely they're going to you know uh, retain either those two seats in which if uh, if smriti irani doesn't decide to fight on yeah i'm like I, i won't say about i won't say talk so comfortably about amethi i i don't know mm, exactly exactly huh. so so interesting and we'll we'll have you back neha to talk in a detail about up before the you know state elections we want to talk about um, uh, i'm sorry before the national elections we want to talk about specific states and all but before uh-huh. you go another thing that has dominated the news and this you know to think about it last sunday when i was recording the podcast i didn't even think this sunday this would be the news the cabinet declared the 10% reservations for um, economically uh, underprivileged uh, it passed the lok sabha it passed the rajya sabha and the president also said yes to it the amendment 124 right. now no doubt about it that it's a uh, very interesting move by narendra modi a move that has scared a lot of his opponents because they just didn't know initially how to react and scared uh-huh. the, the term i use scared is because they think that oh my god is there another announcement coming where we because you cannot oppose it in principle if you're for reservation and um, and you cannot oppose this without having a debate on the existing reservations on obc and sc and st so uh-huh. that's a very interesting thing we by the way on mind we've carried a p which i personally don't agree everything with the piece but you know then if i agreed with everything that was written on mind then i would not be running a website it would just be my personal blog so <laughs> we have a piece that completely bashes the prime minister 
for amendment 124 i think the piece is a little too harsh but uh, because i think the prime minister's move um, more than anything this was a very political move also because even if this doesn't go through this gives him a chance to reopen the debate on reservations what do you think mm-hmm. i think it's a actually uh, politically it's a very very powerful move mm-hmm. and it's a move that you know sets the tone for 2019 um, but one thing that i have kind of like following all the uh, i've been following the commentary that's been coming on this mm-hmm. reservation bill i there is one nuance that is sort of missing and i want to use this opportunity to highlight that you know mm-hmm. we've been um, this is the, the 10% general category reservation is not a statement against the need for reservation for scst group right okay and and it's not a social commentary on that mm-hmm. and a lot of people are confusing the two because a lot of the anti uh, reservation lobby um, talks about that talks about things that either they they kind of oscillate they either say that discrimination never happened caste discrimination never happened or or on the other side that it's completely gone now mm-hmm. neither of which is true mm-hmm. but this move has nothing to do with those two mm-hmm. because if you notice that from the obc reservation onwards um obc reservation then to the 93rd amendment which was the right to education act and now this 124th amendment in all these three um some kind of policies have been made um consistently to address the issue of access due to social conditions socio economic relations which may not necessarily be caste discrimination so obc reservation had nothing to do with discrimination the obc caste were not being discriminated against even though it's largely painted as that it was simply that these people did not participate in the mainstream and uh, they were mostly agricultural castes and so therefore they had a back uh, they also had a because they didn't have access to the same networks to enter the mainstream right. so the obc reservation was brought in from that point of view the only commonality was that they didn't have access to the mainstream not because of the same reasons though hmm. and said so now if you look at rte rte was also an admission on the part of the government to hmm. say our education system is completely broken and at this point we have no way of fixing it and possibly we are even giving up on fixing it mm. so therefore we are going to now shift the burden on to the private sector to take care of these people and in return we will simply pay the private service providers mm. Mm. right so that was the education act and so if this 10% reservation should be seen in the same vein because again it's not saying that these uh, the poor people from all the general category are uh, necessarily oppressed or that other people are not oppressed at all and everybody is equal but rather saying that you know uh, we understand that poverty is a major uh, barrier to entering the mainstream you sometimes either if even if you are very good at studies you either don't have access to uh, good schools that can prepare you for entrance exams even if you do get through entrance exams you might not be able to afford the private institutions and if you didn't if you're not the creme de la creme on the very top and you know with a mm. brilliant uh, um uh, result then you will not get access to the government institutes at all mm. so you are again these people are left out of the mainstream yeah. uh, for that reason and this 10% reservation is co- correcting that but not necessarily saying that I, i don't think this is a statement against the scst reservation or reservation policy mm. for scsts at all 
Absolutely, absolutely. Fascinating points, Neha. I'm glad we talked about this. And I agree with you. I don't think this is against SCST. I think this is making a political statement either about acknowledging that there is a grouse amongst the general category, economically weaker students as well, that they are uh-huh. not getting the resources, and that the other reservations also needs, need to be reevaluated. That even absolutely. for the reservations you have for SC and ST, if you have a very rich, well-to-do politician's son or uh, a very rich SC industrialist son who has the resources, does that person still need the reservation as much as uh, in the same context as a poor laborer's son? I don't think so. Those are two completely different things. And maybe that needs to be looked at a little closer too. Hmm. So, important point to mention here is that Supreme Court recently ruled that um, the creamy layer criteria is applicable on SCST too. Uh, yeah, I know, but yeah. you, you know what I'm saying. Like, in, yeah, yeah, yeah. T- t- it's gonna be, it's gonna take a lot to uh, uh, open this uh, open this up eventually. <laughs> so, um, anyways. <laughs> It's a fascinating debate. We covered a lot of issues. But before we end, uh, any recommendations that you have for our listeners, Neha? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I recently started reading uh, V.S. Naipaul's India, A Broken Civilization. And it's been, a, you know, a deeply emotional journey so far. But mm. I highly recommend that book. Um, it's to be read by all and sundry hmm. and the other very important book that I recently discovered is Professor Arvind Sharma's book called The Ruler's Gaze hmm. you, you told uh, me about that yeah 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 this was this I, I've been in love with that book so <laughs> it actually extends the Saidian hypothesis uh. and proves that the history is written not only by uh, the British from the colonial times hmm. but also mo- modern um, modern scholars who have been kind of borrowing heavily from the British sources mm-hmm. as well as the Muslim historian histories of India all fall under the uh, Saidian framework and therefore they are being written from a point of view of the uh, of an imperialist justifying their rule in India retrospectively Absolutely, and so therefore they should be taken with a grain of salt so I definitely highly recommend these two books mm-hmm. um, and uh, we can post the links of the of these two books uh, after the podcast. Yes, we will, absolutely. Uh, my recommendation would be two films that released this weekend. Uh, my book recommendation I already told you in the other um, podcast with um, Airwise Marshal Arjun Subramaniam. The two movies that released this weekend is Uri, which is based on the Surgical Strikes, and then The Accidental Prime Minister, which is based on Sanjay Baru's very popular book. Now, um, there have been a lot of reviews and stuff, and I don't want to get into that. Uh, I plan to watch uh, both of them, and the reason I'm recommending them before I watch it is because as political junkies I believe we should watch all political movies even if we disagree or agree with them uh, because it's very important to know what every side is talking about um, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading an accidental prime minister book because it's it's a it's a period it's a very tumultuous period in India's destiny and um, it, it ranges from some very odd highs to some terrible lows and the reason i say odd highs is because what happened with the india usu nuclear deal and stuff like that and you know before that so it was maybe that was a high point for manmohan singh but that nose died very um, quickly so anyways that book talks about that and then i don't know what the movie what exactly it talks about but i'm i'm su- suspecting it's going to be pretty close to the book but watch it i mean you know and see if if, if you agree if you disagree send us the pieces and we'll be happy to publish them 
but um before we go thank you so much neha for joining us this was a fascinating discussion and absolutely and thank you for having me and we hope to have many more <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> indeed until then um it's goodbye from my podcast for this week we'll be back next week with more pramod will be joining us as well starting next week he's going to be back from india so i'm sure he's going to have a lot of gossip for all of you guys till then take care and we'll be back <laughs>